here Thank tonight. You. Come on. Thank you. So good to be with you. So good to be with you. Holy Ghost, come tonight. Just uncover to us things we haven't seen before and empower us to live a more powerful life, a life that honours the call upon us, that fulfils the assignment You've given us. We ask You, Lord, tonight that Your power would bring freedom and impartation to people here. Every one of us would receive something. And we give You all the honour, Jesus. You fought the battle so we could step into Your victory and don't have to fight. We just have to hold what You have won for us. Lord, we honour You tonight in Jesus' Name. Amen. Come on, let's be seated. I never use those things. I get too into the message. I can't. But thank you. That's so wonderful. <laughs> well, our theme is sonship. And uh, we had such an incredible time. I really appreciate the musicians. Man, what great musicians. Man, high caliber and that worship leader. Wow. Just stunning. Stunning. I want to, this morning we spoke on sonship. We spoke on sonship and the supernatural. And then we spoke on sonship and heart transformation, necessity of heart transformation. Tonight I want to speak on sonship and spiritual warfare. And we're going to look in a, a verse in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, give it a good start there. And I want to open up you some things. Now these, these come out of experience. These come out of life experience. Sometimes I won, sometimes I failed. Sometimes I got the thrashing of my life and ended up hiding in a cave. Other times I came out and uh, I didn't always win the fights. In fact, I had many, many hidings until I understood what the fight was about. And then I began to get the victory. And then I began to consistently get the victory. And every setback, I was able to turn it back and, and overthrow what was there. Because God gave me revelation of what really the battle was about and how to fight the battle. And I want to share with you, there's a lot I could share. I'll try to keep it condensed around the things that will give you understanding of the nature of the warfare that you're up against. We have to understand you have no choice in this. Your only choice is whether you roll over and come under something or whether you'll stand up and persevere and take hold of what Christ won for you. That's the decision you make. You don't get an intermediate decision. Well, look, I tell you what, I won't bother the devil if he doesn't bother me. It ain't going to work. You have an adversary, 1 Peter says, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking or scheming or planning how he can devour your life. You are called to resist to make a stand in your life. But if you can't locate the warfare and don't know how to fight the warfare, you'll be beaten every time. And you'll have cycles of issues. You can't seem to understand why it happens. So let's just quickly look in Ephesians chapter 6. Then I'm going to the Old Testament. And I'll just give some point by point so you understand what's at stake here. So Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. One of my favourite declarations, I am strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He wants to strengthen us. I'm going to speak on the spirit of might tomorrow. You want to come along and get an impartation. And he says, put on the whole armour of God and be able to withstand the wiles or the cunning plans to overcome you. How many know that there are cunning plans in place to overcome you? See, a lot of people don't even recognize that you're here by divine design and purpose. He has an assignment for you to accomplish that's unique to you. Doesn't matter where you come from, whatever your background, God has an assignment for you. You also have an adversary who plans, how can I defeat that person and stop him operating in a supernatural life and hinder him in fulfilling his assignment? Okay, so it doesn't matter whether you're a part, it doesn't matter what level of, uh, of spiritual maturity or walk, we all have adversaries. 
And every promotion of God brings another level of it and a different engagement that you have to face. But here's the interesting thing, that every engagement brings you beyond the engagement is a prize to be won. That's the thing. So we should never be worried that there's a spiritual war for a conflict because it tells beyond that there's something worthwhile for us to take hold of. So after David slew Goliath, before he slew Goliath, he said, what's in it for me? They said, oh, well, you get to marry the king's wife, uh, daughter, and you get to be free of taxes. Your whole family free of taxes. He said, that sounds good to me. I'll take him on. And, be, and after he took on the giant, he's promoted. Every battle of David led to promotion, promotion, promotion. You don't have great victories without great battles. You don't become an overcomer without a challenge to face. So it tells me, strong in the Lord of power is when I put on the whole armor of God. He said, now here it is here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now there's an important statement there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against invisible spirit beings that are highly structured and organized to replicate what God created in the angelic realm. So God... God created an angelic realm, angels of different levels and layers and authority and empowerment and assignment. The devil just looked at it and copied it. And so it says we have various layers and levels of demonic uh, structure, and they all have their own assignment and their levels of authority that they work under. And it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, our conflict is not really with people. It's the invisible powers that have access to their life to manipulate them to do their will. We'll say that one again. Our struggle is not with people. It is with the spiritual powers that have access to their life to manipulate them to do their will. Tells us that in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26. The devil manipulates people to accomplish what he wants. So when you find yourself in conflict, you've got to stop being in a reactionary mode to people. You've got to govern your own spirit and learn to understand where the battle is and what you're fighting and how to fight so you actually, in the end, win the victory. The only one you have management over is yourself. If you can't control yourself, you're actually going to be wiped out every time there's a spiritual conflict because the devil will manipulate in you the place he has access. Jesus said, the devil comes, he's got nothing in me. There's no place in me he can manipulate me so I will do what he wants me to do. So let's have a look. And I want to talk specifically about the battle. Paul wrote about it. He talked to Timothy. Timothy, war a good warfare by the prophetic word, the revelation God has given you. You use it as a, war, a weapon to war against invisible beings. So the ministry of deliverance is literally the manifestation of God's kingdom, bringing an exposure of the demons and bringing them out into the open so you see the warfare. So I never hide it. I don't mind if demons manifest. Not at all. Great stuff. Let's point out what's going on here. Jesus did that. In fact, if you have a look at his ministry, it was his deliverance ministry that caused him to become famous. He became well-known everywhere because he had authority to subdue demons and they did what he wanted. He gives that authority to you. He has won the battle for you. He gave his life for you to become empowered. You need to step up in the game. Come on. 
I want you to look at the Old Testament. And uh, I want you to have a look at a particular power that operates in a visible power. There's difference in realms of the spirit. Uh, most of us have got, uh, are affected by just demons, just little low-level spirit beings. Try to gain access and uh, put themselves at work in your life to destroy you. But uh, there's other beings that run those ones. And that's the one we want to have a look at. So I want us to look in 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings in chapter 16. And uh, the Bible tells us very clearly that there is a warfare will take place in the end times. In the last uh, verse in uh, the book of Malachi, just before the Old Testament ends, it says, I will send the, the, the prophet, I will send Elijah, the, or literally the spirit of Elijah, before the great and coming day of the Lord, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. So without going too deeply into that, we see several things in there. Number one, at the end times, there'll be significant breakdown in families and family relationships to the point where there's great bitterness and strife and conflict in families. Number two, because that would end up with a curse coming into the earth because of the dishonor in the families, parents of their children, children of their parents, God has to intervene. Thirdly, the intervention is the anointing that was on Elijah. What did Elijah do? Elijah confronted a spirit power that affected the whole nation and corrupted the nation. So in the last days, God will put a prophetic anointing and empower the church to uncover and expose and tear down the very thing that Elijah had to deal with in his day. It was a spirit power that corrupted the nation, corrupted the governance, corrupted the morality, corrupted the worship, corrupted the family life, and broke down the nation. And that same spirit will be powerfully at work in the end times, and so God will raise up an anointing to overcome that spirit. Elijah came out of nowhere. God has got many people who will come out of nowhere anointed because they've been in the presence of God and they have an authorization to start to move in the supernatural and confront spirit beings. But before you'll do anything on a bigger scale, you've got to fight your own devils. And so we want to talk a bit about the strategy of that and the how-tos of it. I've learned how to do it and I've learned how to be successful in it too. And, uh, but I want to just, just talk. Let's just go into uh, 1 Kings chapter 16 and uh, verse 30. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri. Ahab was a ruler appointed by God. Uh, but it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than everyone that was before him. So he wasn't a good guy. He was actually a really corrupt leader. Corrupt leadership in the nation brings corruption throughout the nation. And it says, as if it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he did, he did something worse. So not only was his ancestors evil, now he does something worse. He forms an alliance with the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. Her name is Jezebel. And then he served Baal and worshipped him, set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image, or an Asherah, and Ahab did more provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So we see there, it's opening up and exposing that the king that was appointed to rule and bring peace in the nation and prosperity to the nation, his heart has swerved aside. He's come into an alliance with a particular woman, but it's the spirit behind that woman is the thing we are concerned with. So in the Old Testament, you see stories of people having encounters with God, people having conflicts, but behind that is an invisible realm that influences it. 
And so the stories in the Old Testament are to help unveil the spirit world. So I haven't got time to develop too much about this, but we want to just catch this, that, that the person that's involved in the Old Testament that by the name of Jezebel, that same name turns up with a different person in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it's right there in the church being tolerated and bringing corruption, bringing defilement and causing people to be seduced away from God. So the name appears in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's not the same person. It's the same spirit doing the same kind of work. And God wants us to rise up against it. He, his complaint in Revelations 2.20 is we tolerate the thing to operate. Tolerate means we're just passive and compliant and let it happen and just, oh, well, I don't know. What can I do? So in other words, his complaint with the church was not that they weren't zealous, not that they weren't hardworking, but they tolerated something that God found intolerable. And the consequence was disastrous for them. And so mostly the reason the Spirit operates is one, because it's incredibly deceptive, and two, because people become passive and tolerate it operating because they don't recognize its operation. They become entangled with it. They become entwined in it. They come under its influence. Then why have I got no power? Why has the church got no power? Why are we lacking in the supernatural? Oh, there's a very good reason. If you want to move in the supernatural, you have an enemy that is committed to oppose your operation in the supernatural. Every person who steps up and wants to move in the supernatural will engage a different kind of warfare they never had before. Now, you say, oh, well, I just don't like the idea of that, so just leave me alone. My life's hard enough as it is. Yeah, it's hard enough because you are tolerating things to operate that God gave you authority and a mandate to overcome. Right. He said in Luke 10, verse 19, I give you authority. I have I won it on the cross. I won it for you. I have won the authority over demons. They have no power to rule you. I have paid a price on the cross to gain authority for you, to reposition you with authority so you would trample underfoot serpents, scorpions, all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You need to believe and stand up and learn how to fight. Yeah, come on. But if you don't know where the war is and how to fight, we just pray in tongues and don't know what to do. I want to help you with that. So let's just look at this person here. This, uh, the, the word Sidonian means literally uh, to catch someone in a snare. So, so the Sidonians, literally their whole nature was to catch people in a snare. The Sidonians literally are a, a picture prophetically of demonic spirits, a sign to catch us, snare us. The snare of the devil, Timothy talks about it. So it says their whole plan is to catch you in a snare. And there's many pictures of this in the Bible. Many pictures of it in the Bible, many operations of the Spirit right through from one end of the Bible to the other. This is just one glimpse into it. But you can find it at work in many different parts of the Bible. Let me give you one major example. When the people of Israel were walking in blessing and could not be overcome, and they hired a prophet, even he couldn't prophesy against them. He said, there's only one way you can deal with this. You've got to seduce them away from God. And it tells us that they sent in women to sleep with the men and then as a result of that, bring them into union with them and union with their gods, they moved away from God and began to worship idols. That is the same spirit at work, seducing people away from the Lord through sexual sin into immorality and then into worship of idols or substitutes for God. 
See, this is an old story. It says, I, think, I don't know how many thousand, 20,000 men or 25,000 men perished at that time. Now, that's a lot of sleeping around by many, many women. It's actually an invasion by the women in a culture intentionally set on seducing these men. Young woman, married woman, they sent them all in to sleep with the men, and 25,000 died. Now, these things are written for a lesson that the spiritual conflict is real. And the one man that got committed, and not only that, uh, that this conflict happened, but it was blatant and it was done in front of everyone. And so one man was highly commanded because he wouldn't stand for it. He wouldn't tolerate it. He stood up and confronted the thing. God said, I'll make that man, I'll give him honor all his life. So understand, there are parts of the Bible where if you look past the natural story, you see the hidden spirit realm. So it tells us this, this, this woman. Now, the spirit we're talking about, although we may call it the spirit of Jezebel, it's got, it is not a woman's spirit. There's no, in, in the spirit realm, there's neither male nor female. So it's a spirit that finds an expression. In this case, through a woman, it can also express through a man. It can express through an organization. It can express through a, through a family. But it usually finds a person that it gains access to to operate through, and then its desire is to do a whole number of things. So we see there this particular spirit at work. And when you look at the gods that they worship, they worship the god Baal. They worship the god Ashtoreth. Now, I won't go into too much about it, except if you just have a look at it, if I just share a couple of things, you'll start to see and say, oh, my, my, that's what's happening today on a big scale. You see, we think see things happening and think it's something new, but it isn't. It's an old spirit at work. So, for example, Baal, the worship of Baal. Baal was the god of uh, the storms. Baal was the god of thunder. Baal was the, the god of divination. So Baal was a god they worshipped. And one of the ways they worshipped was they often they sacrificed their children. Their children died to please Baal. That same spirit is at work today. Look at the increase in abortion. Juiced Ahab, and uh, the Bible tells us he became entangled with her through the marriage, and then she seduced him, and he sold himself to do evil. He just gave himself over to follow what she wanted so he could gain advantage. In the end, he lost everything. But let me just tell you what the agenda is. And, and you find this by just looking through the scripture, through the story. You ask the question, if God refers to it at the end in Malachi, it must be important. It must be something significant. When John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord, preparing for Jesus to come, he said, this is the same spirit. It's the spirit of Elijah is on him, preparing hearts for an encounter and carrying a revival. That's this anointing God wants to release on you. So what is the agenda? Here's the agenda. There's several things. Let me just itemize them without developing them. Number one, it's to steal your inheritance. It's to steal your inheritance. So one of the first things is the spirit of Jezebel. It's a power at work that wants to steal your inheritance. If you read the story in the Bible, there was a man named Naboth. He had a vineyard and it was his inheritance. It was his provision from the Lord through his family line. It was something that was handed down to him. He didn't have to work for it. It came down by inheritance. Christ has won many things for us by inheritance. The devil wants to steal them from you. He is committed to take everything Christ won at the cross. Take your healing, take your deliverance, take your confidence, take your identity, take everything that Christ won to remove it by deception, to remove it by accusation. One of the big, one of the big problems that Christians have, struggling with guilt and condemnation. In other words, the, the victory, the acceptance Christ won has been stolen away from you. It comes as a thief to steal. 
and you don't notice it's being stolen, but you lose your peace. You lose your sense of uh, identity, and now you find it in other things. I find so many people struggling with a deep pain, deep grief of rejection, and deep uh, uh, insecurity on the inside. They've, been st- they've had their vineyard ripped off. What God said is for your provision, for you to supply your, your, not only yourself, but your family, stolen by, by deception. She raised a false accusation and raised up false witnesses and then had him killed to get his vineyard. So that's one of the things. The inheritance, what God has provided for you, promises for your money, your finances, your marriage, your personal life, your health, the devil wants to steal those things away from you. Second thing, wants to steal your legacy, wants to steal away your legacy. Your legacy is what you will leave to the next generation. So one of the things that you'll find in Malachi 4, verse 6, he said, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, children to the fathers. Meaning there's a breach in the family relationships and no longer are the families united, but they're embittered against one another. You know, I've prayed for businessmen and they've got a lot of things going for them in terms of money, but their family is a wreck. Their legacy has been ruined. The legacy you leave is not all the money you get. The legacy you leave are the people you have built up and invested in that carry on the values and the life that you've given them. Think about that. The legacy. So the legacy is, first of all, natural. It's our own family and the next generation. The devil wants to steal the next generation. We are very active working to invest. We've invested, we've got seven children, invested in the seven children. Now we're investing in the grandchildren. We have seven, we have 24 grandchildren. All families are in church, but there was a fight to hold on to the legacy. I had to fight for every one of them in prayer. Every one of them could have been lost. You understand there is a warfare for children. There's a warfare for the next generation. You have to stand in prayer. Husband and wife standing together, believing God, holding God's promises over their family and investing intentionally in them. But then it's got a bigger, a bigger aspect than that. It has to do with the legacy of the next generation of soul winning and discipleship. So, so new souls that come in or people, the, the devil will try to hinder whatever he can, try to hinder evangelism. Try to stop you having a voice. So there's no voice of witness, no voice of testimony, no voice of reaching out to the next generation. You know, mind, if you got saved and stick in church, but you never win a soul, never do anything, he's quite happy with that because there's no legacy spiritually for your life with God. That's why when it comes to evangelism, always a warfare around evangelism. But the church has got to be stirred because we're always only one generation from extinction. Okay, here's the third thing that the devil comes to destroy, and particularly the spirit but will come against you, and that's here it destroys the prophetic and the supernatural. So we find we read in 1 Kings 18 uh, and verse 13 and verse 4, it tells us that Jezebel viciously attacked the prophets, killing everyone she could find. She was determined to stop the voice of God being heard in the nation to shut down that voice that would have the power to unseat her, to shut down the supernatural power of God. I look and I see the supernatural power shut down in most churches around in the West. Why is it shut down? Oh, fear. What fear? What are you afraid of? Are we afraid that God might do something? Are we afraid that there might be something a bit messy? Are we afraid that things won't all look nice? Our God is a supernatural God. 
we misrepresent him if we're not strong advocates for the supernatural. Why is it we're not strong advocates for the supernatural? Fear. And fear leads to control and shutting it down. We're in agreement with the Spirit while in church offering. You understand, this is a serious issue. The prophetic voice, every person is able to flow in the gift of prophecy. Every person who's the sheep of Jesus Christ able to hear his voice. The devil wants to shut down the voice of God. If you stop hearing the voice of God, the prophetic in your life is shut down. The voice that brings life, the voice that brings revelation, the voice that inspires, the voice that guides. He wants to steal that voice out of your life. That's why there's a fight for the prophetic to either stop it or make it so weird that no one wants it. Either way, it still shuts it down. So we have to keep ourselves stirred so we can stay in prophetic flow. One thing I like about this church, I was just talking to Curly about it before, is that there's a prophetic atmosphere here. It's just easy to flow, easy to hear God. Even while I'm worshiping, I'm hearing Him tell me this and this and that. I write it all down straight away so I don't lose that word. So this is the warfare you have. Timothy was told, war a good warfare by the prophetic word. In other words, what God says to you is a weapon of war that will destroy the devil, that will bring down the resistance in your business, the resistance in your family. It brings down things in the spirit. That's why it's so precious. That's why the devil wants to shut it down. Stop the prophetic voice and you stop the flow of revelation. You stop the church advancing. Come on. So her first thing, shut down all the prophets, kill them all. Except he didn't get them all. There was still a remnant that was hidden. And they came out in the right time. When Elijah stood up, this is is the hatred against the prophetic. She said, I'm going to kill you. You see, the hatred for the prophetic was very intense. When you're dealing with the spirit realm, you're dealing with pure hate like you've never seen before. I've encountered it, I've seen it, I've confronted it, and it is full of hate and violence. And it's against you. The fact you don't see it doesn't mean it isn't there and doesn't hate you. That's why you can't entertain these things. You cannot allow access. We've got to actually stand up and learn how to fight in the Spirit, how to stand as sons and daughters in the position Christ won for us and to war a warfare where we came to a victory. Amen. Everyone goes very quiet. I know you're listening and processing. You're probably thinking, oh my God, I gave up too soon. Here's another one. Uh, Another uh, goal it has, or part of its assignment, is to seduce people's heart away from God. Seduce people's heart away from God. To seduce, uh, it tells that when, uh, uh, when, here's the interesting thing, is when Elijah confronted the people, he said, why do you halt between two opinions? Or this, why are you double-minded? Why is it, you're coming to church, but you're living another double life. Why is it there's not a consistent commitment to Christ through your life? Why is it you've got a piece of God, but you've got a piece of something else? He said, if God is Lord, serve Him. If Baal is Lord, serve Him. Now I'm going to show you who the true one is. And he brought fire down from heaven and said, whoa, okay, we got it. We got it. I was in a meeting in, uh, in, in Singapore and uh, God started to move and demons started to manifest and scream out and, uh, and uh, Pastor Kong, his parents were there and his wife, said, his mother said, what's going on, what's going on? And her father said this, I see there's a greater spirit at work here. We need to respond to that. Wow. These others are scared of it. Oh. So just by seeing it happen, 
They came up on the altar call, gave our hearts to Christ. We want to be connected to the stronger power. Oh God, your throne will rule forever. Amen. We're the winners. He is the winner. He's already won. He's waiting for us to take hold of his victory and rise up and win. Here's another thing that the assignment of Jezebel is, and that is to undermine and replace kingdom order in relationships. To undermine and replace kingdom order in relationships. In other words, undermine marriages and families, undermine church leadership, undermine governmental authorities, undermine authorities all through society. In other words, any kingdom order that God has set up and put in place, the Spirit wants to undermine the order. Now, here's the thing. People want God's blessing. God blesses what He orders. You've got to understand, God doesn't bless chaos. God blesses things which come into order. He's a God of order. All of nature has got order in it. It's ordered by God. The spirit world has order in it as well. So my role is to seek first his kingdom, meaning to align with his order and priorities in my relationships. And if I'm aligned, I'm automatically positioned by the faith I've expressed for God's blessing to flow. So you understand then that the devil wants to corrupt God's order everywhere, make men passive so they don't pray and become a priest and a leader in their home. And now you have a whole culture that reinforces that. You see, you've got to join the rebellion against that and stand up and say, actually, we want our lives in God's order. We want men standing up and being the head of the home as God called them to be. Now, it may not be PC kind of language, but I tell you what the Bible says, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, the man is the head of the woman. There is a governmental order. It's not a order of who's important and who's not important. It's a functionality to make it work. It's about fulfilling your rightful role that you're appointed to fulfill. Men and women standing together, rightly aligned, so that they have authority in the spirit and can put an umbrella of spiritual protection over the family. The biggest problem with men is the roots of rejection that cause them to become passive and fail to fulfill their responsibility to lead and be a priest in their home. Now, let me tell you this. When you take that line, it doesn't really matter why you took it. When you take that line, you are surrendering to the Spirit and permitting or tolerating disorder spiritually in the home. Then you're why you got problems. There's no authority to bring covering over the family. If you're a woman and you've been hurt and you never resolve it, and then you start to want to control and have everything so, it's, so you feel safe, then you, you're out of order. And now you've got a problem. You now are the doorway through which the Spirit comes and your husband's allowed it to be there, and there's chaos and constant conflict. Or it can be the other way. Maybe the man, and the man has been abused or hurt or whatever, and he's now got the spirit around his life, and now he's the controlling, abusive leader in the family. Now he's totally out of order. He's violating God's order that the man should lead and serve and love his family. So he's violating God's order. By violating God's order of functionality, he gives permission for the spirit to operate. But we go to church on Sundays but we have no power in our lives. Why is that? Oh, perhaps you should pray for me. No, no, I want to change you. So you come into divine alignment. If you come into divine alignment, the, the result is outstanding. God's blessing comes around your life. 
Now that means favor comes around your life. That means opportunities come. In other words, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, meaning right order, right relationships, right functionality, and everything you need is added. You actually initiate a law that brings the, 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 the presence of God and the blessing of God into your life. But people react, you see. The culture is totally against kingdom order. You stand up and start to talk this and speak this and say this. You will unleash hatred against yourself. Where is that coming from? Oh, that old spirit that hates the prophetic and wants to shut down and destroy God's order. It's an old spirit. It's nothing new about it. But now you see it and it's very, very violent and it's very expressive. And it's showing itself all through the West now. The media, you can see it everywhere. You can see it all over the place. It's now visible, very tangibly visible. You say something and immediately you're falsely accused. Hey, okay, so those, so now you, you're getting quiet, but that's what happens. That's what's going on. That's where the warfare is. That's where the warfare is. So how do people come under that spirit? If you look at the story of Ahab, you find two things that he did. Number one, he entered a marriage relationship or he became entangled in a wrong relationship. The second thing he did was for the sake of peace, he sold himself out to do what would keep her happy. In other words, just to keep the peace, he tolerated ungodliness. Does that sound familiar? In other words, or put it another way, he was passive in the face of things being wrong. That goes right back to the Garden of Eden where Adam was silent when something was going down. You understand silence, no fight, no resistance, just for the sake of peace. I'll come to it when it comes to the, you see this all come out when the final confrontation with Jezebel, where she's finally taken out, you'll find the key issue is peace. Can we just be tolerant? But, but the only thing it's tolerant is of ungodliness. The moment you stand up for what is right, there's a vicious reaction against yes. it. It's not tolerant. It's totally intolerant, full of hate. We have to champion the truth, champion God's word. So how does it get in? Let me give you a few ways that the, the Spirit gets to operate into people's lives. And uh, just so you can recognize, it's far more common than we realize. Number one, probably the number one doorway, I've, I've identified a number of doorways, but let me tell you what number one doorway is. Number one doorway. Unresolved heart pain. When we are wounded in relationships, when we are hurt by people, it could be in family, it could be with a father, it could be with a mother, it could be in life, it could be in school. There's so many ways that we get, we live in a fallen world, stuff happens. Yeah. When we're hurt, we're faced with a decision, a crisis. I can either surrender self to the Lord, turn into the Holy Ghost, and bring the pain and injustice and all that's happened to me to the cross and find the grace of God to forgive and bless, and I grow stronger and more yielded to the Spirit. Or I can decide to save myself by building walls around my heart to defend me, and now I begin to control my pain, and I begin to control my relationships and my circumstances so I can't be hurt again. That's how it gets in. Very simply. Every time, instead of letting go the pain and being healed and releasing forgiveness, you decide to bury it and try to control it. You get into alliance with that spirit. And now it works on you. Fear, loneliness, rejection, 
torments. It draws you then to addictions. The cause of addictions, the root cause, is disconnection in relationships because of pain in the heart. You can't solve it just getting off the stuff. You've got to fix the pain in the heart. That's how it gains its access. It manipulates people by seducing them into things that will offer a comfort, but they end up being in bondage to. Pornography, alcohol, drugs, all kinds of manners of things. It's a seduction to try and bring a false comfort to pain so you can control and medicate your pain instead of bringing it to the cross to the price Jesus paid and getting free and healed. Does that make sense to you? It's, when I saw that, I thought, oh my, that, that makes all of us open to the possibility of tolerating that spirit in our life. When you tolerate unresolved offenses and hurts, you are now tolerating that spirit gaining access to your life. Why? Because you'll be afraid of being hurt. You try to control life, conversations, relationships to prevent being hurt or medicate being hurt. Oh, you know someone who did that once, don't you? <laughs> Maybe it was me. <laughs> I did that a long time. I had all my own ways of medicating the pain. I had no idea what it was. But it was all attempting to control pain, to try and soften the pain and keep myself protected. And it left me isolated, alone, and under the power of that spirit until I broke my agreement with it and broke my patterns of doing it. Here's another way it enters in. It enters in through generational strongholds, through broken family patterns. So if the family is broken and there's generation strongholds of control, a controlling mother or controlling father, then the spirit is in the family. The children are wounded by controlling behavior. Listen, let me tell you. When a parent is controlling, there is legitimate control. We're talking about ungodly control. Legitimate control is good boundaries, guidelines, discipline. Illegitimate is where you dominate the child and then they have to comply and they're never able to share their feelings, their heart, what is going on in their life, their dreams and their passions. They are under pressure to comply with a parent who makes them perform. Oh. Control. Their heart gets broken, they get wounded, and now they will try and control the pain, first by hiding it, and now looking for ways to medicate it, and eventually they repeat the pattern or marry into someone who is also a controller and perpetuate the problem. Dealing with strongholds. It can be in cultures. Some cultures, they are so hierarchical and so strong in their way of doing things, they actually entertain and they have control spirits run right through them. And you can tell that because you can't say anything. You can't raise a voice. You can't share a differing opinion. You can't question or ask something because you will be abused and shut down. That is a controlling culture. Some cultures are very like that. Some families are very like that. Some churches are like that. Churches that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ can be totally filled with a Jezebelic spirit controlling everyone, and the emphasis is always on performance and external appearance, never on the heart. People can't say what's going on because they feel if I say it, something bad will happen to me. That is a Jezebelic power at work. This is serious stuff. And it is the enemy of the end time move of God. It's the enemy of the church. It's the enemy of the kingdom advancing. It was the enemy in Elijah's day, and it's our enemy. You've got to find out where it attacks you. 
You've got to find the location of your battle. Because if you don't know where your battle is and what the issue's over, you won't stand up and deal with your part in it and fight. Ahab tolerated it and then went along with it. But interestingly, God held him fully accountable for everything that he did or was done under his name. You, you can't escape accountability to God. We need to understand these things are so important. See, it's no coincidence that you build something strong and great as far as the family. Uh, uh, bitterness, bitterness and bitter, bitter envy and ambition will lead to the spirit operating. You find someone who's got bitterness in their heart, they will be looking for power and control. So they go into the occult. So there's another doorway. Another doorway is spiritism, idolatry, the occult. It directly opens the way for controlling spirits. You become afraid to do anything without consulting the spirits or going to the idol. And if you've been in a culture like that, the spirit is already on your life and your life is not free until you're delivered. Rebellion. When we're hurt and rejected and we rebel, the Bible says a cruel messenger will be sent against them. It says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When you rebel against God's order, that means usually you're rebelling against someone you know. Don't tell me what to do. And it's kind of an arising to dishonor people who are in authority and react and rebel. And of course, you go and look in the media, that's what's going on everywhere. We've got to learn to be part of the kingdom. You have to align with God's order. When you align with God's order and own the responsibility for your life, God's blessing falls on you. Another way that controlling spirits come into people's lives is through what I would call boundary violations. Boundary violations. Here's how it works. A boundary is what I'm, my boundary, or put it this way, my skin is a boundary. Everything inside it belongs to me and I'm responsible for it. So a boundary defines what you're responsible for. I'm responsible for my stuff. You are responsible for your stuff. I am not responsible to keep you happy. It's impossible for me to do that. But if I try to keep you happy, now I'm under your control. I'm under the control of a spirit because now I'll be afraid. Oh, anything right? And now I'm trying to keep you happy. I'm not responsible for your happiness. You are. You understand? It's not my responsibility to keep anyone happy. My responsibility is to live the life to follow the Lord. And if you don't like that and get unhappy, well, that's, I'm sorry, that's too bad. But you see, when you've got boundary violations, boundary violations mean you, you take on someone's responsibility that isn't yours. That means you control them. Or you're trying to control a dysfunctional relationship. So, for example, if a parent fails, say the mother's an alcoholic, father's an alcoholic, one of the children step up and take their responsibility, all looks good, but it's driven by fear and the desire to save myself. And the person enters great bondage that affects them all their life. They're trying to control every relationship to keep it safe for me. There's boundary violations. They get the thing. When someone has got a control spirit around them, they can never bring forth any leader under them. You can never produce a leader if you're a controller because they'll be forced to please you and they'll bury their gift and identity just in the order of getting peace. It's so corrupt. The spirit is so corrupt. We have to hate it as God hates it. You know, God hates it so much. He gave you a free will to make a decision even about your destiny. 
If he loves us so much you give us a free will about our destiny, we've got to be able to give people free will to make their choices and be responsible. And it's this boundary blurring is a big issue. Where I take over someone's responsibility, it's not mine, I start to move in witchcraft. When I start to prophesy over someone, things outside the boundaries of prophecy, I'm operating in witchcraft. It's, it's, it's such an insidious spirit that it creeps in. That's why when you start to get an understanding of this, you want to be under authority. You want to be in alignment because you understand what's at stake. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you can start in the spirit and then without understanding that it's about a kingdom and kingdoms have an order and a governance and the anointing flows within the boundaries of the governance. The moment you remove the boundaries of God's order, now it's like having a river moving with, a, with no banks. There's a flood and all kinds of junk happens. Anyway, I, that's just a start. That's just a touch in the surface of it, but at least it gives you an idea how it all happens. Eh? Get an idea? <laughs> all right then. So you'll find that when people are, are like this, they show certain traits. Let me just throw out a few traits that people show. And maybe you'll find that as you listen to these traits, you may realize, oh, that's me. I do that. Well, you repent. You repent. It's quite simple. Stop doing it. Stop it. You're hurting people. You're not making it better. You're participating in the destruction. You're cooperating with the spirit. You see, if I said, oh, have you yielded to a demonic spirit recently? I say, no, not me. Would never do. I'm a Christian. Oh, really? Really, but if there's brokenness in your life and you start surrendering to ungodliness, you're allowing the Spirit to express itself through you. You're increasing its ability to get control. So here's a few things it does. Uh, number one, uh, remember what I said? It flip-flops between being highly aggressive and being highly seductive. But all of it is about, I want you to do what I want. And I'm going to find a way. So it's going to be soft or hard, or it may be both. It'll be soft to start with and then hard later on. And so let me just throw the things out. Uh, I won't talk too much. Number one is manipulation. Relationships are emotionally manipulated by making you feel guilty. Oh, you don't love me. Yes, I do love you, but I'm not going to do that. You understand? It's actually a manipulative ploy to cause you to feel bad so you feel obliged to do something. Uh, accusation. You're this. You're that. False accusation. Uh, uh, blame. It's all your fault. No, it isn't. I've got my bit. You've got your bit. I'm just going to own my bit. Stop blaming me. When you blame people, you act like a victim. So manipulation, that's another way. They act like a victim. So you get tears. So I've seen people. I've been in encounters with people where I raised an issue. And first, it was vehement denial, then accusation, then blame. And then when I kept pressing, suddenly collapsed. And now it's all tears. Oh, I'm so hurt in my background. Next thing you know, you're feeling sad for the person. It's a flip-flop thing can go one or the other. And when you meet people like this, they're very difficult to work with and usually conflict and confrontation is the only way that you're going to find your way through it. But there's a way through it that you can help in prayer. So tears, um, there's always an agenda to everything. So when you're dealing with someone who's got the Spirit operating in their life, nothing they ever do is without a hidden agenda. There's always a reason they do it. So, so they'll do all kinds of things. They come into church sometimes and they'll serve and they volunteer to serve. Yeah, wonderful, they're wonderful. Pastor, oh, you're just so wonderful. So they flatter. Yeah. The flatter is seduction. It's dishonest. 
praise and affirmation is good. Flattery is just saying things to impress you so I can gain access. Because a person with the Spirit will want to gain access to whoever is authorised to lead so they can undermine their leadership and gain power and control. That's the agenda. So one aspect of it is manipulation through guilt and tears, through fussing, through all that kind of stuff. Another way is through intimidation, through anger, through threats, threats to withhold. can be just as simple as withholding intimacy in marriage, withholding money, withholding all kinds of things. But the threat to withhold puts a pressure on people. Sharp criticism is a very violent way. In the Asian culture, they use shaming or scolding as a way of controlling children. It doesn't control them. It just gets them quiet and it wounds their heart because you've unleashed against them a demonic spirit. Uh, it, it creates dependency. You'll find uh, the intimidating aspects of this uh, person operating will be passive aggressive. They may say something, but you can feel the anger in it and you feel intimidated by it. When you're around someone who's got a strong controlling spirit, you're always on eggs shells. It's like, because I don't know how they're going to be next. There's a control spirit operating. You've got to call the bluff on that one. Why would you walk around feeling afraid, guarding what you say? Because what? Because you're trying to, you're trying to get their acceptance or please them or whatever. You've got to stop it. If they're unhappy, they're unhappy. Oh, I see you're unhappy. What's the trouble? It's their problem, not yours. When you tiptoe around people, now you've taken ownership of keeping them happy. You've taken on a responsibility that isn't yours. You can never fulfill it. But if you don't make them happy, they make your life miserable. So you've got to have the courage to stand up to that. See, it's seductive, then it's threatening. Seductive, it's a goddess of love and seduction. It's also a goddess of war. It'll be violent against you. You've got to learn to be able to stand up in the Lord to overcome the thing. You hear what I'm saying? These are things that affect people. You find it in the workplace, you find it in homes, you find it in churches, organizations. So there'll be uh, the seductive side, I have found, my experience has been, uh, it, it's firstly by flattery. Oh, pastor, you're so wonderful. Your gifts are wonderful. Oh, oh, I'm just so touched. And, it, and you can feel there's a lack of authenticity in it. General, there's genuine honor. Flattery works ruin, the Bible says. Or then it's flirting, slightly seductive talk innuendos, all that kind of thing. Goes on in the workplace, goes on in relationships, but it's just hints of sexuality in it. That's to seduce, to draw people. And if you've got a broken marriage or pain or struggle in your marriage, that's the thing that would draw you away and seduce you into something that will destroy you. They can seduce people by, by, by false prophetic words. Can seduce people into agreeing with them because they seem spiritual. So people operating in this sometimes seem spiritual, but if you look, the fruit is no one is built into the church. They build to themselves. So I watch for a leader. Can you release other people or not? If you can't release other people, you're building to yourself. There's something wrong with this. This is controlling. Are people built to Jesus or are they built to you? That's how this thing operates. It's ghastly horrendous. I hate the thing so much. Uh, another thing about the strategies is it's self-promoting. So it promotes self. So all kinds of ways of promoting self, usually by talking about what I can do, what I can do, what I can do, but also criticizing and undermining others. So when you have a person with a spirit, they'll smile to your face from behind your back, they'll criticize you and run you down. And the strategy is very clear, undermine everyone till the end, I'm the one last man standing. 
So they try and gain access to a pastor. If you're a pastor of church, they try and get near to you by a process of serving, flattery, seductive, all that kind of thing. But the idea is to gain control and gain your confidence and your voice and be the influencer in your life. Not necessarily in charge, but just the one who's behind the scenes. It's horrendous. Horrendous. It can be hard to pick because the person seems nice and they do love Jesus. But they're broken. And a part of them is functioning under the influence of a spirit that has trained them in this way of operating. And so it's repentance is required. You've got to deal with the spirit behind it and then lead the person to repentance. The only way through it is repentance. If you try to confront the person, if you try and have a meeting with them to talk and say, listen, I need to talk about something I'm not happy with, you know what's going to happen? I can guarantee this is what happens every time. Every time. Number one, total denial. No. They will deny so vehemently what you know to be a fact, you'll feel confused as to whether you got it right. The denial is so strong. They can literally lie straight to your face because they don't want to lose control. And then if the, if the denial doesn't work and you keep pressing in with the facts, <coughs> you've got to have facts if you're ever going to confront a person who's got that spirit operating. These are the facts. You present the facts, you have a witness to the facts. I've had people sabotage my witnesses and then I'm left with egg all over me like I'm just an idiot. Oh, I failed a few times and I had to get smart about how to deal with this thing now. So first they deny, then they'll blame you. It'll suddenly turn and it's all on you. You're being blamed. Then they'll accuse you. So now it's turned from denial to now attacking. And if none of that works and you remain resolute, then they collapse in tears. And still, it's, no lo- it's still not taking responsibility. It's trying to actually get you feel sorry for them so you get your eyes off what the issue is and refuse to deal with the issue. It's horrendous. You probably had some experiences. I've had a few experiences with it. And then you know, I picked out what it was. I could actually predict it. I could tell people this is what's going to happen. And they'd say, man, it happened just like you said. In, in, the, uh, in the secular society, they call them uh, narcissists. Anyway, how are we going to get free? There's an anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks the yoke. One of the, one of the great things I love is the Bible tells us of people that overcame that spirit. Oh, hallelujah. See, but it always requires repentance. Samson was overcome by that spirit, lost his vision, become confused, lost his anointing, lost his strength. But when he repented, God restored strength. He stood up. I can remember when I went through a major battle and my own son said to me, Dad, you're going to have to fight another battle in this area. You're going to need to stand up and bring this thing down. And I thought, oh, I knew it was a word from God for my own son. And I knew what that meant. And there was a warfare. Went on for about nine months. So I'll tell you exactly how you pray, how you fight, how you stand up. But the first thing you've got to realize is you must, you must let go of all entanglements that that thing's got access to your life in. Yeah. There has to be a deep repentance 
from any place you become entangled, whether it's some sexual thing, some kind of little habit you've got, anything that that thing works to manipulate you, you have to bring it to the cross. There's got to be a recognition. I'm in a warfare. It's about my inheritance. It's about my legacy. It's about my future. It's about other people's lives as well as mine. I will make a stand. I will begin to fight. The first thing is to recognize it's a fight. Second thing is to begin to repent of every place. Have I tolerated this? Did I allow this to happen? Don't go blaming someone else. Men come and they complain, their wife's controlling, all this kind of stuff. I say, shut up. You need to man up. You need to repent that you have tolerated this all your life because you just want someone to love you. You want someone to be nice to you and you, won't have the, uh, you haven't got the strength in you to stand up and lead properly and courageously. You need to repent every place you've tolerated this thing because repentance will bring you back into heavenly alignment and you will be reauthorized to confront the Spirit. When you confront the Spirit, you can bring resolution to the issues. If the Spirit is not confronted, there will always be a problem of this thing working behind the scenes to, de- to, to, to interrupt it all. So the first step is recognize it's a problem and make the decision I will fight. The guy in the Bible who stood up against this thing was Jehu, Spirit of the Lord came on him and he just went for it. And guess it's interesting. The first person he met said, is it peace? Can we work this out? Can we tolerate? Can we get on? No peace. Yeah. <laughs> Next one came to him, is it peace? No peace. Next one said, is it peace? No peace while this witchcraft continues. Now there's a statement of its own. There will never be peace while the Spirit is allowed to operate. Peace is what you get after the battle when you win. It's a victory, comes from victory. And it says he pulled his bow back full strength, gave it everything. Then he went into the city. The moment he goes into the city, Jezebel's painted her eyes up. She wants to seduce him, wants to impress him, wants to give a show of power, whatever. Then she begins to mock him. Oh, you're going to be like one of those other guys. See what good it came of him when he tried this on. He said, who's on thy side? Who's on the Lord's side? Throw that thing down. And the eunuchs, the people that had been had their life, their energy, their identity stolen away by that spirit, rose up and cast it down. This is an hour for those who have been hurt by that spirit, those who've had their strength taken away, those who've lost their identity to start to stand up again, say, God, I'm taking hold of you. I repent. I bring the pain in my heart to the cross for you to heal. I release forgiveness. And now I stand in my place in the spirit. You see, you've got to understand where the battle is and what your position is. We are sons of the living God. He has won the victory. The devil's defeated. So the only power he's got is the bit I gave him. That's why I disentangle, have a repentant, clean heart and begin to seek the Lord. So how do you warfare? Well, when you're positioned, right, you learn to build your spirit, praying in tongues till your spirit strengthens, start to stand up on the inside. You need to stand up on the inside. Stop rolling over. Stop lying down. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Don't be like Elijah and hide in the cave and feel sorry for yourself. Stand up, man of God. Stand up. There's an anointing of the spirit of might that comes on you. My, you start to pray in tongues every day. You commit to pray. You commit, you're fighting for your life. You're fighting for something that's valuable. Put up a fight. My fight is for my future. My fight is for the generation that'll follow me. I will win this battle. 
So you pray in the Spirit. You begin to engage with God until you become strengthened on the inside again. Your spirit starts to stand up. And then out of that place, you decree, you speak to the Spirit and you take exercise your authority. I speak to that Spirit. I forbid your operation against me, against my wife, against my children. And whatever it's against, you've got to find where the battle is. Wherever the battle is, forbid its operation. I bind all of your spirits. I forbid all communication because there's a whole network of spirits. Now, I release the power of God into that situation. I release the angels of God to work. I release revelation. I release an exposure of that thing. I decree the kingdom of God has come into that place. See, you've got to use the Word of God. You've got to start to exercise something in the Spirit. You're the voice for God in heaven to manifest on the earth. Repent. Get your heart right with God. Build your strength in the Spirit. And then, you know, when David was overcome and defeated, everyone to kill him, everyone to destroy him, he rose up inside. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he started to hear God and God gave him strategy. He ended up on top. See, when you win this battle, you'll end up on, not only where you were, you'll end up on top. You'll end up better than you were. You'll end up with blessing. You'll end up with the blessing of God released. You end up with things you never expected because God has been activated to work because you stopped tolerating something ungodly and you stood up and said, I, my family will serve the Lord. We're gonna honour God. And so as the head of the household, I'm gonna take contention over against that spirit. Eh? So it's quite a simple thing. It's basically the reconnection with God by removing the entanglements in your heart and then just pressuring the Spirit day by day. And I usually do it for about three weeks. I pressure it and pressure it. And sometimes there are massive reactions. Sometimes massive reactions happen. And then sometimes it just flushes out and there it is. Now the problem's out, we can see it. We can have a good discussion about new boundaries. So now you can address the problem. Always enter spiritual warfare first. And when the Lord says, then you address the problem face to face. You have the facts, you set it out and you set new boundaries. This is how it's going to be. You actually have to be quite insistent and strong in this area and not be afraid. Fear is how it'll gain access again. My trust is in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. I'm not afraid of what you will do. I remember standing and facing someone and they said, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I said, I don't mind. I'm telling you what God wants. And this is how it's going to be. And people that have been influenced by the Spirit walked away. But God came through. And we went from strength to strength and strength and strength. I have people accuse me falsely. I have people say to me all kinds of things. I have people who have false prophecies. And none of them have come about. The opposite came about. The opposite came about. Exactly the opposite. But you see, because my heart was clean, I didn't mind. I just, God said to me this. He said, don't you try to defend yourself. Let me do that. You just make a problem you can't solve. He said, you just be an honorable man and be generous and honor people and forgive people and you just follow the vision I've given you. And if you'll do that, don't be entangled in fighting the people. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. You've got to rise in your spirit. Will there be difficulties? Will it be painful? Of course. But the outcome, 
you flushed the spirit out, you brought a change in the relationship, either you're not in it anymore or you're in it and it's changed. If you change you, everyone around you has to adjust. You hear that? If you change you, everyone else has to adjust because there's no longer the old you. The people who get angry when you set new boundaries are the ones who benefited by you not having the boundaries. The ones who get angry that you've got a new authority in your life are the ones who benefit when you didn't have any authority in your life and you compromised. You understand that? That's why we need to stand. Get your life back. Come out of the cave. Elijah, what are you doing here? You don't belong in a cave. If you're defeated, you need to open your heart and say, God, tonight I'm going to break out of that place. Amen? Plus a Tim.